So if I don't have to, if my kids don't have to perform for me to love them, then I don't have to perform for God for him to love me. Now here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's Old Testament. It's not even New Testament. He says, all the commandments which I command thee this day, he says, you shall observe to do them. Okay? He says, you should observe to do them. Now, he didn't say that you have to do them in order for me to love you. It doesn't say you have to do them in order to be blessed. He said, here's why you should observe to do them. Because in doing them, you may... I can go home. Service over. If you miss this, you miss everything I'm talking about. Because this cancels out why we need to perform. He says, you don't have to perform to get me to do something. I have set up commandments. I've set up boundaries. I've set up limits. I've set up things for you so that if you decide to do them, you will live and you will what? Multiply and you will what? Possess all that I have made available for you in whatever land you are in. Pastor, why do, you, why, do you, why do you do the things God told you to do? Not because I'm trying to get God to love me. He loved me when I was wretched as I could be. He loved me when I didn't even know who he was. He's like a father. He loved me even when I wasn't in the family. But he says, here are these commandments that I have set before you. And the reason I set them there is so that you could do them in order that you may live, in order that you may multiply, in order that you may go in and possess the land which I have swore to your fathers to give you. And so when we started talking about this, this issue, this self-help phobia, one of the things that I want us to understand is I am not telling you that you can go out there and just do everything you want to do because there are consequences for life. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor, neighbor. life has consequences. You can go rob a bank and God will love you, but you're going to go to jail when they catch you. And while you're in jail, God going to love you. And while you're in prison, God going to love you. And if you ever get out, God going to love you. It doesn't stop God from loving you. And watch this. He'll bless you while you're in prison. But if you have a choice, would you not rather be blessed with your freedom rather than in prison? I mean, I'm not being funny, but he'll, he'll multiply your commissary. <laughs> if, if, that, if, if that's what you believe in God for, he'll love you enough to multiply your, the money on your book so you can go to the commissary. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, but, but there's a better way to live. There's way to Amen. Live. There's a better way to live. And so we started talking about how we can live beyond the mechanics of faith. The church as a whole, not just our church, the church as a whole teaches people about faith, but it doesn't teach us the reason behind the faith. And so this morning, before we get started, I want to talk to you about the reason behind the faith. I want to talk to you about why it is that I am so dogmatic about the fact that I don't have to perform for God and he still blesses me every day. Because I believe that if we can change our mindset in that, we'll stop limiting ourselves and disqualifying ourselves for things that God already says belongs to us. So let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. 
Let's go to 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 3. And I really do this when I just want to walk you through some things because I think sometimes we read things, but we don't, we don't pause to really understand what he is saying. And so I, I really want you to get this because I, I, I'm just a firm believer that this, next, this, this, this fourth quarter that we're in, it's, it's going to be a quarter like no other. It's going, to be, it's, going to be, it's going to be a quarter like no other. There are going to be things that are going to happen in such rapid succession and it's not going to be that it's new, it's that the way we perceive and see things is going to be different. You know, uh, I, I was reading in my Bible some scriptures I had the other day, and I read across something I had wrote in 1997. And in my Bible, my Thompson chain wrote in 1997, it said this. It says, Revelation always precedes manifestation. Revelation always precedes manifestation. Anytime something manifests in your life, you have to have an understanding of it or a want for it first. And so in 1 John chapter 3, let's just take a look at this. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. In other words, he says, there, there's a manner of love that God has given us that is so, that's so awesome it's hard for us to even put it into words. When we were singing that song, he's wonderful. That's, I mean, wonderful seems such like an inadequate word yeah. to, to describe how good God is. But, but our limited vocabulary just, just, just leads us to the word wonderful. He says, behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. It says, therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. In other words, another translation says it like this. It says, you and I are the sons of God. And the reason that the world doesn't get us is the same reason they don't get Jesus. The reason the world don't understand why we can be happy when things are going bad all around us is the same reason they didn't understand why Jesus could be so confident, even in the midst of a storm, when it seemed like the boat was about to sink. He says, we who are in Christ have that same confidence. And then in verse 2, he says, now, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it do it. Now, now watch this. He says, we are the sons of God. Say, I am, I am a, child of God. a child of God. He says, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we sh when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is a powerful scripture if you understand what it's saying. He says, behold now, we are the sons of God. He says, and right now, it, doesn't, it does not yet appear what we shall be. When I was reading this and I was going through the commentary of this, here's what it really says. It says, you and I, right now today, are children of God. We just don't see ourselves quite like God sees us. He says, you and I are literally in the, made in the same image with Jesus Christ because we are in him. You remember when I said that, 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 that God doesn't look at us and, and, and see how wonderful we are? that he actually looks at us and he sees a Jesus in us, and that's the reason he sees us as, as so marvelous. He says, we are the sons of God, and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. He says, but here's the thing. It says, but we know that when Jesus appears, we're going to see him, and when we see him, we're going to see ourselves in him. Yes. I submit to you, we don't have to wait. 
I submit to you that the only reason it does not yet appear who we are is because we look at ourselves through human limitations as opposed to seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And because we look at ourselves through human limitations, your re your, we, say this, we used to say this all the time. Perception is however you perceive yourself will be your reality. So it doesn't matter that God sees you like Jesus. What matters is that you see yourself as not like Jesus. And because you see yourself unlike Jesus, then there are things that you think you don't qualify for because you haven't measured up yet. But watch what the scripture says. Let's look at verse 3. It says, In every man that had this hope, what hope? The hope we were talking about in verse 2, that we are just like Christ right now today. The Bible says, as Jesus is in this world, so are, so are we. When? When we get to heaven? No. So are we when? Now, today, right now. As Jesus is, say, so am I. Say, say as, Jesus is, as Jesus is, so am I, so am I. Right, now. right now. That is scripture, and that's what it says in the scripture, and that's what he's confirming right here. Verse 3 says, and every man that hath this hope in him, watch what he does, he purifieth himself. Why does he purify himself? Because he's thinking right. Your thought life is what's going to purify your life. You will never live or rise above your level of thinking. He says, so every man who hath the hope in verse 2 in his life, he purifies himself. But watch this. He purifies himself even as what? He is already. All right, I'm going to let you catch up. Because here's what he says. He says, you are pure right now. You don't see yourself as pure because your thinking is off. But if I can change your thinking, you will have the same hope in you and your abilities that you have in Jesus' hope and his abilities. If you start to think that way, it'll start to purify your thoughts. As it purifies your thoughts, you become pure even as you already are pure. You're not trying to get pure. You are pure. What you're trying to do is kill the flesh nature of you that keeps fighting against who the new birth says you are. And because you have this conflict and because you have this fight, Every time you think you do something that's not like Christ, you go back to being not like Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 4 says this. Whosoever committed sin transgress also the law. Now, this is important. He says if you commit sin, you transgress the law. But now if you remember, now Caleb, I don't know if you can do this, but if you remember Point number one that I started with several weeks ago, if you'll go to that to, to my notes, is number one. It says relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. Jesus has already rescued us from the law. Remember, that was point number one. All right. So keep in mind this right here. Relying on our own efforts. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Relying on our own efforts puts us back under the law. Jesus has already rescued us from that. All right? Now go back to the scripture we were just reading. Number four. 
He says, whosoever committed sin transgress against what? All right. He says, because sin is what? The transgression of the what? How can you transgress something you're not under? How can you transgress the law unless you're living under the law? And if you live under the law, then you are not living under grace. But if you live under grace, you can't be under the law. If you can't be under the law, then you can't sin. If you can't sin, there can't be condemnation. If there can't be condemnation, why are you feeling bad about not being perfect? Because Jesus already made you perfect. You are pure. Your thought life ain't pure. All right. Stay, stay with me. Let's go. Verse number five. He says, and you know, watch this, that he, he being Jesus, was manifested to do what? Take away, Take away our sins. And now in him. So ask your neighbor, say, neighbor, where do you live? You live in him or you don't? If you live in him, there is no sin. So why are you tripping? Why you keep talking about how you messed up? Why you keep talking about how you blew it? Why do you keep disqualifying yourself when God says, I sent Jesus to qualify you? He said, I sent Jesus so that this sin issue, this transgression issue, living under the law issue, you wouldn't have to spend your time thinking about. You could just focus on all that I want to do for you. But the majority of the church, I guarantee you all around this country this morning, they're going to spend 30 minutes of their sermon talking about hell. They're going to spend time talking about sin. They're going to spend time talking about how you better get it right. They're going to have an emotional altar call and make you come to the altar and tell you you need to ask God to forgive you for all your sins. I'm sorry, he already did that. The Bible says he did. The question is not what he's doing. The question is what you're doing. Where do you live? Where have you taken up residence? Have you taken up residence under the law and you're trying to keep all of these rules and regulations so that you qualify? But the Bible says that if you miss one of them, you have missed them all. So I choose not to live under the law. I choose to live under grace, knowing that every day I wake up, Jesus is looking to the Father so that the Father can look at Jesus and be good to me and Jesus because we are one. Every morning. Every morning. The Bible says that he makes intercession for us. That means when I blow it, he is talking to the Father saying, look at me. It's me. It's me. It's not them. It's me. It gives you a whole new level of confidence. Because now I'm not concerned living my life about whether I got everything right or not. I'm living my life understanding that this was the sole purpose for Jesus being manifested. That he could destroy the works of the enemy. Okay, verse 6. He says, whosoever abideth, that means to live, reside, stay forever, 
Whoever abideth in him, watch this, what, what, what happens? They do what? They sinneth not. It says, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. He says in verse 7, that little children, he says, let no man deceive you. Now, this is important because here's why de deception is so important. Deception always causes us to live below our reality. When Adam and Eve lived in the garden, the, 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 the serpent, people call it a snake. The Bible didn't say it was a snake. The serpent, he was so cunning because he said to Adam and Eve, he says, the reason God told you not to eat from that tree is because he knew that you would become just like him the moment that you ate from that tree. The deception was is that they was already like him. The Bible says in Genesis, in Genesis 1.26 that they were made in the image of God. If you don't already know what God has done for you, then someone can deceive you into thinking you got to do something to get what already belongs to you. But if someone can deceive you into getting to doing something to get something that already belongs to you, then when you do it, you don't actually get the real thing. You get a false thing. So he says in verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth. Now, this is the part that, that, that got me. I had to spend a, a little time on this because this word doeth seems like an action. It seems like something you have to do. But if you go back and you read this in its original translation, it basically says something like this. It says, little children, let no man deceive you. He that has become righteous. He that has become righteous and therefore lives out of his righteousness, it says, is righteous. Watch this. Even as he is. Did you, did, did you catch that part to what we just read about being pure? He says, God came and made you righteous. So now whatever you do, it is done in righteousness. You don't realize it, but you're already righteous. So you don't have to do something to be righteous. All you got to do is believe on Jesus, and now everything you do is righteous. Yes, and this is where the church gets up, and they all walk home. They all go home. They all leave. They go, no, I'm not my part of this. I'm not doing this. You telling me that I'm righteous. Uh-uh, I'm not righteous. I cussed them out last week. I ain't righteous. Mm-mm. I smoked that reefer last week. Uh-uh, I ain't righteous. Mm-mm, I know what I thought in my head. I ain't righteous. That's because you keep thinking that you have the ability to take yourself out of something that God put you in. Here's the reality. You could if you made yourself righteous. If you made yourself righteous... You could take yourself out of righteousness. But you didn't make yourself righteous. So you can't take yourself out of righteousness. So since you can't take yourself out of righteousness, you might as well enjoy being in right standing. If we ever get to the point where we grasp this concept, this issue of sin, we wouldn't struggle with so much and we wouldn't struggle with it in other people. See, most people don't struggle with their own sin. <laughs> no, no, no. No, 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 no. You good with yours. No, no, no. You straight. You straight. You, you, got, yours, you got yours. It's low key. 
can handle it. It's them other folk and all that ratchet stuff they do that, that vexes me. It's all the other sins that Christians do that I just can't be a part of the church because all the sin that they do. But if we all had the mindset that we are all born again and that we've all been made righteous and that the way we live is living righteousness, then there'd be this whole new mindset, this whole new revelation that would overtake us and help us to live a little bit better. Let's keep going. I, some, some of y'all, y'all was with me and y'all was like, I don't know, Pastor. I know. Let me, let's, let's come on. Number eight, it says, he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil did what? From the beginning. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God was what? Why? That he might. All of the works. What's, what's the works of the devil? Keeping you in bondage. Making you live according to the law. The, the, the enemy, see, I tell people this all the time. Once you, anybody in here born again? Anybody say? Understand this. The devil can't take you out of that. The Bible says that you were born of an incorruptible seed. Now, now, now we all are, are pretty astute in this church. Incorruptible means it can't be corrupted. I mean, that, that, that means that, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? To be incorruptible means it can't be corrupted. So if I was born of an incorruptible seed, what can corrupt it? Not even you. I tell people that all the time. I don't care how bad I mess up. As long as I love God, I can't be. I, 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 there, there's no taking me out of his hand. Now, if I do certain things, there are consequences that I, in, in the earth. There are natural consequences. But watch this. God loved me so much. There's some natural consequences I done escaped. Oh, I must be the only one. Don't make me come down your aisle. Don't make me come down your row. Don't make me put the mic in your face. Yeah, that's some natural stuff. This show should have been knocking on my door. Uh-huh. There's some stuff that should have happened to me that I was in a prayer closet praying to God about. If you just don't let it be true this time. And he saved me and delivered and rescued me. So, 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 so even as believers, there are natural circumstances that, that God can deliver us from. So if God can deliver me from natural circumstances, I know he can certainly deliver me from having to be trying to be bound by this devil, trying to live under the law. So based on that, let's take a look real quick what we talked about the last couple of weeks, all right? I think this sets our foundation up pretty good. Number one, when we go back to where, yeah, right there, we, we said number one. Number two, we said that the finished works of Jesus, not our perfection, positions us to receive God's blessing. Do you believe this? I'm telling you, if you the scripture is, the, the, when, it's so funny how you can read a scripture you've read for so long and God will give you a new revelation and then when you read it, you see it totally different. I mean, now, because, because I'm studying this and reading this every week, everything I read now in the Bible is like, oh yeah, that was self-effort. Oh yeah, that was me trying to do that. That was me trying to be right. That was me trying to do this. Listen, the Bible says that the finished works of Jesus not our perfection is what positions us to be blessed. And then number three, we said that Jesus in the giving of his body and his blood has removed the curse from us. 
and that there is now no need to work to receive what God has. The Bible tells us in Galatians, it says, blessed is he that hangeth on the tree. Who hung on the tree? Not us. It was Jesus. Jesus hung on the tree. Why? So that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us. Why do we keep acting like Jesus didn't go through what he went through and trying to make sure we do everything we can to get what he already gave us? The reality of it is Jesus died on the cross so that we didn't have to. So tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. Say learn, learn. To, stop to stop crucifying, crucifying. Yourself. yourself. Stop crucifying yourself. You are human. Yes. That's why God sent Jesus, because he knew you was human. Your human abilities would have you still out there every other day killing a dove or a bullock or, 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 or some kind of animal uh, for a sacrifice, trying to atone for your sins. But Jesus was the atonement of sin. And I don't know why that scares people or bothers people so much. Jesus was the atonement of all sin, past, present, and future. But you start talking about that and people get so nervous. They sh you shouldn't be nervous. You should be happy. That means I don't have to spend my time trying to recap. Some of y'all, I know some of y'all do this. Before y'all go to bed at night, y'all still praying, praying that prayer. Lord, forgive me for all the sins I committed. Sins of omission as well as commission. Well as omission. That means stop it. Stop it. We teach little kids to pray that prayer. And they grow up so at the end of the day going, oh, God, please forgive me for all the things that I did that I didn't know I did, things known and unknown. He already did. That's why you weren't consumed. That's why fire didn't fall down from heaven and consume you and kill you because his grace is, his grace is so good. And I'm not saying that, that you don't do things. And, and, and you know, if, I, if, if I'm in a relationship with Chris and I do something I hurt Chris' feelings, I say, Chris, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So I have conversations like that with my father. I go, you know what? That wasn't my best day, God. Petty was too high. I get it. I get it. I get it. I, 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 I get it. I get it. I get, I get it. I get it. But I ain't laying in the bed talking about, oh, Father, please forgive me. I don't know. why. why you should. I don't deserve to be. No. That's not the relationship he wants from us. And then number four, we said that moving away from grace and toward trusting our own self-effort always makes us look crazy in the end. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you do not want to live the best life you can make for you. You don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want to live the best life that you can make for you. You want to live the best life God has for you. And there is a stark difference because at some point you're going to tap out on what you can do for yourself. And that's the reason we got to get beyond self-effort. And so we talked about how do we do that? We talked about developing a strategy and we gave you the definition of what a strategy is. We said it was a systematic arrangement of independent plans working in harmony with each other to accomplish a predetermined objective. In other words, we said it like this. God may ask you to do something. It may not make any sense to you, but trust God. Trust that God knows that what he's asking you to do today, how it's going to connect to what he asked you to do last week and what he's going to ask you to do next month. God is smarter than we are. Yeah. And if we follow his strategy, it'll always work out. We made a couple of statements. We said that God's word 
teaches that planning is an important process of life. There is nothing wrong with planning. We talked about the counting the cost principle. We talked about the fact that nobody decides to go build a house and digs a foundation and then didn't figure out why they had enough to, to build the rest of the house. Because if you do that, people will think you look foolish. And so the Bible says that there is nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with counting up the cost. We also said that it is important to follow God's strategy. The reason it's important to follow God's strategy and not just your own is because in God's strategy, he always makes detours and ways of escape because he's already planned for everything the enemy could ever do. See, when you make a strategy, you don't know what's going to happen six months from now. When you make a strategy, you don't know what's going to go on a year from now. But literally, if God gives you a strategy, in that strategy, even if you don't know it, it's already predetermined and preplanned multiple ways to get you out of whatever situation comes your way. God is never caught off guard. God is never caught off guard. It's the reason I've learned over time to trust him, because I like planning. I like strategy. But what I have learned is that when I try to plan it myself, even if I think of every pro and every con that I can, at the end of the day, something shows up that I wasn't prepared for. But I have never trusted God, and he'd been caught off, he'd been caught off guard. I've never trusted God, and he was like, oh, man, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get past this. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, you got any plans? I mean, I'm all out. <laughs> I've never trusted God and he came up short. So it's important for us to follow God's strategy. We talked about the four major components of any strategy. And you know that when you're talking to God, you can be rest assured God will give you these. If God doesn't give you these, go back and ask because you're not hearing. But God always gives you these four components. God will always tell you what the goal is. He'll always tell you what the goal is. He'll always tell you what the game plan is. There is no sport on earth where they go into the sport without a game plan. Even if it's badminton, they got a game plan for how they're going to play the game. You have to have a game plan. God doesn't say take the city and you go, how are we going to do it? Well, I don't know. I just told you to take it. God is strategic. So he's always going to give you a game plan. He's going to, have a you're going to have a goal, you're going to have a game plan, and he's always going to be talking to you about the group. Who's going to be the person on the team? And you've got to be savvy enough, and you've got, to be, you've got to trust God enough that if God says, hey, I need this person on the team, so what you don't like them? What they got to do with it? What they got to do that y'all personalities don't click? If God said they're on the team, put them on the team. Oh, but that's my boy. But God said, don't put him on the team. So you got to be cool with being my boy, not being on the team on this particular project. Because at the end of the day, I trust God more than I trust you. And I love you, but I trust God more than I trust you. God's going to always tell you who the group is going to be. And then he's always going to give you a government. He's always going to give you an accountability system. How do I keep up with knowing I'm on page for the goal? How do I keep up with knowing I got the right game plan? How do I keep up with knowing who's on the right seat, on the right place, on the right bus at the right time? I got to go back to God and say, God, is this what we're doing? Is this the right progress? Did I, did, did, did I miss you somewhere? And let me help you. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. If, if you walk with God, walk with God. long enough, at some point, At some point you, will you will miss him. Miss him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You will. At some point, you will miss him. Missing him doesn't disqualify you. 
Missing him means you get to rely on him more. It's all about perspective. Missing him doesn't mean, oh, I'm disqualified. I missed God. I thought God told me to get this loan, and now I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have did something else. Oh, I can't believe. No, no, no. I miss God. Now I get to rely on him for the comeback. Because as I told you, if it's a God-given strategy, he already knew you was going to miss it. He knew there was opportunity for you to miss it. He knew that there was opportunity for you to miss him, so he created a detour so that when you missed him, you could go down a different path. He could fix the mistake and then put you back where you would have been had you not ever missed him. That's the kind of God that we serve. And then after we talked about that, we talked about keeping the law and operating in self-effort never works in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a system of rules. It has a system of things, a way of, a way of operating. You know, if, if, if you were to leave America right now and get on a private jet and you flew to Dubai, when you got to Dubai, the same rules that apply here wouldn't apply in Dubai. And if you don't know the rules of the kingdom that you're in, they can be detrimental to you. Go over to Dubai and start twerking in the mall and see what happens. They will arrest you. You might get life in jail for twerking. Why? Because the rules are different in that kingdom. Well, you say that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, but everything you do is like the world. So you hadn't transitioned from being in the world to being in this new kingdom. And because you haven't taken time to figure out how the new kingdom works, you keep saying it don't work in the kingdom. No, it works in the kingdom. You're not working the kingdom. And we said the problem with this is that there's so much spiritual misinformation out there, and it's devastating the body of Christ. We keep telling we keep we spend hours and hours and hours talking to people about sin and about and about bondage and all these things when we need to be illuminating people to who they are in Christ. We need to be talking to people about who they are in Christ. Who, because if you can get people to see who they are in Christ, they live at a different level. It's the reason that the new birth experience is so important. Because a lack of understanding will cause you to live below the spiritual privileges that Jesus has already bought and paid for. How many of you would love to be in a family? And that family is a multi-millionaire family, but you're living on the street homeless because you won't go to them and ask them for your rightful inheritance. None of us would do that. Well, none of, none of us should do that. If you would do that, you're not in your right mind. Jesus has already made so many things available to us. He's already paid the price for them. We don't have to pay the price for it. I was thinking about this. Have you ever had someone to, to, to pay for something for you at a store? And they say, hey, I already took care of the bill. Just go by and pick it up. And, and when you walk in, you walk in and you say, hey, I'm, I'm here to, to pick up so-and-so. My, my name is so-and-so, and, 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 and I came by because they said they already paid for it. They go, oh, yeah, here it is, and they just give it to you. Now, I don't care who you are, that's a good feeling. I don't care who you are, that's a good feeling. You're like, oh, thank you so much. But what if you went in there and they said to you, oh, yeah, you are $67.47. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Angel paid for this already. I know, but you got to pay us too. Y'all tear that store up. <laughs> no, I know for a fact. If she, let me see the receipt. She didn't already pay. Hold on a minute. You get your phone and you call Angel. Did you already pay for this? Yeah. 
She said she already paid for it. Why? Because you don't want to be paying for something that already belongs to you. That ought to be the mindset you get when the devil tells you that you don't deserve something because you didn't do enough. You ought to be like, are you crazy? Jesus already. Hold on a minute. Jesus. You already paid for this. This belongs to me. You don't have a right not to give me. Don't make me come behind that counter. Give me my stuff. The same posture we ought to have when it comes to receiving the things that God has already given us. So then the biblical presentation of spiritual order is crucial when we understand this. It's crucial. The Bible tells us in Matthew 22 and 29, it says, Jesus said unto them, you err or you miss the mark because you don't know what the scripture says. And you don't know the power of God. Hosea 4 and 6 in the message translation says it like this. He says, my people are ruined because they do not know what's right and what's true. See, we miss a lot of things not because the enemy takes it from us, because he convinces us of something that's not true. We already have everything that pertains to life and godliness. I don't have to work for it. It's mine. So understanding how God operates becomes vital to effective strategy development. So last week, I said to you, I said, only when man accepts Jesus will he possess the potential to understand the benefits of this new birth experience. And this is where we stopped, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. Just real quick. We talk about being born again like it's a one-step thing, and that's all it is. We say, hey, come up here and give your life to Christ. And most of the time, we, we actually, I hate the way we even do it. I don't do it that way anymore. I used to. We tell people, come up here, Eugene, and give your life to Christ so that when you die, you don't go to hell. So the premise I have established for Eugene is that he comes here, gives his life to Christ so that something sometime in the future won't be detrimental to him. When the reality of it is, I should be saying to Eugene, Eugene, come up here and give your life to Christ so that all the days of your life, you can live a supernatural life. Because that's the, that's the purpose of the new birth experience. Not so that sometime when you die, you can escape torment. You know, I had somebody tell me one time, <laughs> I, you know, because I didn't know no better. And when you don't know no better, you, John Goodland, who's a researcher, says people teach as they were taught. So when you don't know something, you, you repeat what you were taught. So how you say to people, come up here, give your life to Christ so that you don't have to die and go to hell. Somebody said, well, I figure if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well go in a limousine rather than a Volkswagen. Some of y'all get that in a minute. What he was saying was this. If all you got to do is to present to me something in the here and after, I ain't interested. I'm going to ball out while I'm here. Because I don't, don't want to go to hell in a Volkswagen. If I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go in a limo. And that's what we keep presenting to people in church. Come up here. Give your life to Christ. I know it's going to be strain and struggle. Yeah. But, but God's going to see you through. I'll pass. And that's what the majority of the world is saying. I'll pass. 
You wonder why millennials aren't going to church. I'll pass. You wonder why old people ain't coming to church. Forget that. Live that. Ain't, ain't nothing happened for me. I'm done. We need to start presenting to people what the new birth experience is all about. When, when you think of a baby being born, you don't think of death, do you? You think of life. You think of all of the things ahead. Well, it should be true with the new birth experience. We get born again. We ought not be thinking about death. We ought to be thinking about all the stuff we get to experience ahead. And so as a result of that, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says that at salvation, we become a new species of man. I know we've talked about this before. I don't have to go through all this metamorphosis thing. Tell your neighbor, say, I, I became new when I was born again. Any born-again people in here right now? Any born-again people? Who, if you raise your hand nice and high, you know you're born again. All right, I got the right crowd this morning. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Well, what becomes new about the person? You know, they sing that song about, you know, you come give your life to Christ, to Jesus, your hands look new, your feet did. No, they don't. They don't. If they were ashy before you got up here, they're ashy when you get through unless they put oil on you. Other than that, they're the same hands. They're the same feet. You look the same. And in fact, in, in fact you're, you're, when you get born again, your thinking doesn't change. You have, to, you have to work to change your thinking. You don't get saved and then you couldn't drive a stick shift. Now automatically you can drive a stick shift. Your mind doesn't change. You... Changing your mind is like personal development. It has to be purposeful. And so what gets changed? What gets new in this new birth experience? Well, here's the three things that we said we wanted to talk about, and I want to share with you real quick. Number one, here is a benefit of understanding your place with this new birth experience. Number one, you are able to do business in both arenas the natural arena, and the spiritual arena. When you get born again, you are no longer bound to natural limitations. If you think you are, you do not understand your new birth experience. You have the ability to tap into both realms just in the same way as you can reach out and touch somebody with your left hand and reach out and touch somebody with your right hand. Say, I have, I have. the ability <laughs> to conduct Business in both arenas. Let's look at Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Uh, I don't know if it's 23. I had Matthew 14. I think it's Matthew 14. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Matthew 14, 23. He says, and when he had sent the multitude away, talking about Jesus, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Next verse. But when the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Keep going. It says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. It says that when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. 
It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou. Now watch this. He said, if it be thou, do what? Bid me to come unto thee. How? On the water. Okay, next verse. It says, and he, Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, how many of you know that in the natural realm, you're not supposed to be able to walk on water? But in the spiritual realm, you are able to do things that you can't do in the natural. Now, why was Peter able to do this? I submit to you Peter was able to do this because he tapped into another arena based on the truth. What was the truth? He said, Lord, if it be you, then bid me to come out to you on the water. Well, the Lord couldn't say it ain't me. I mean, I mean, what was he supposed to say? No, it ain't me. I'm just, it's, you, it's just your mind playing tricks on you. He said, no, it's me. So come. So the word come from Jesus now superseded everything that was supposed to happen in the natural. Well, pastor, the Lord ain't never told me to walk on water. But he said, come start the business. He said, come get healthy. He said, come get the job. He said, come get the promotion. He said, come improve your marriage. He said, come, come, come develop a better relationship with your kids. When he said, come, that is your acknowledgement that nothing natural can stop you. Because now you can tap into the spiritual realm and the natural realm at the same time. Tell him say, I am able to do business in both arenas. Let's look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I won't read all of this. John chapter 1 is really John chapter 1 verse uh, 1 through 44. We won't read all of it, but just take a look at some of these scriptures here. John, John, John 11. I'm sorry. John 11. I'm sorry, Caleb. John 11. John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, verse 1 through 44, you find this, this, this incredible story here. It says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. Now that you've read that, you know the story. You know that Lazarus uh, was Mary and Martha's brother. He got sick, and when he got sick, he died. In the course of that, they sent for Jesus, and they said, Jesus, hey, Mary and Martha's brother is sick. We need you to come. The Bible says that Jesus didn't just get up and hasten and go. He waited. He was like, wait, don't you love Lazarus? Why are you waiting? And then later on, they came back to him, and they said, hey, Jesus, don't even worry about it. He dead now. I mean, clearly you had other stuff to do. So Lazarus, he, he, he gone. Jesus said, you know what? For your sake, I'm glad this happened. He said, let's go to Mary and Martha's house. The Bible says they went to Mary and Martha's house. And on the way there, they found out Jesus was coming. They ran out to him. They said, Lord, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, he ain't dead. He's asleep. He says, don't worry. He's going to get up again. She says, oh, I know you are the life and the resurrection. I know that in the great getting up morning, he's going to get up again. She says, no, no, no. You're still thinking about in the future. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whatever is dead, when I am near it, lives again. Don't talk to me about how that dream died. Don't talk, about me. Don't talk to me about how all the stuff you thought was going to happen is dead. I am the resurrection. The Bible says he went to them and he says, hey, move that stone away. They said, hold up. 
Now, Lazarus has been dead four days. About this time, Lord, we, <laughs> whew, we know Lazarus got some, some little stank to him. He said, no, don't worry about it. Roll that stone away. Paul says he looked over there, and he didn't even do it for, for their sake. But he did it for the sake of everybody who was around who could hear. The Bible says he stood there and he called Lazarus' name. He says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that the natural word that Jesus spoke went from the natural realm into the spirit realm where his soul was. And that word spoke to Lazarus. And had his spiritual soul to come back into his natural body. And the Bible says that he got up out of the grave, bound in grave clothes, shuffling on out. Some of y'all ought to just speak to your dreams. They may not run out, but if they'll just shuffle on out. If they'll just show up in your life. If you have the boldness to say, God, I declare out of my natural mouth that those things that you have declared, they are so. I call for my dream now in Jesus' name. You have the ability to conduct business in both realms because you are a new creature. When you were born again, you didn't just have, you had natural abilities at first, but when you got born again, now you got natural and supernatural abilities. The second thing we said is that when you understand the power of your new birth experience, that you are able to see beyond the natural realm. You are able to see things that other people can't see. It's the reason why sometimes when you're sharing your dreams and ideas with people, you get them funny looks. It's because they can't see what God has shown you. Having natural eyesight doesn't mean anything about spiritual insight. Just because you can see something in the natural, just because you can see the numbers, just because you can see the project plan, just because you can see the business plan, just because you can see the analytics, none of that makes any difference if you can't see it with your spiritual eyes. So the Bible tells us this story in 2 Kings chapter 6. I think it's so appropriate. Second Kings, I believe it's Second Kings chapter six. Let me go to my phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here it is. He says, "And the sons of the prophets said unto Elijah, now watch this. He says, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us.' Verse two. He says, "Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell." And he answered and said, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. He said, So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. It says, But as one of them was feeling a beam, the axe fell head in the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him a place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it into thither, and the iron did swim. Keep going. Therefore, he said unto him, take it up thee and put out his hand. And he took it. It says, then the king of Syria warred against Israel. And he took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such place 
shall be my camp. Now, this is important. Watch this. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Behold, what thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. Now, let me tell you what happened. So, the king of Syria says, I'm going to get them. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to set up an ambush. They ain't going to have a clue or an idea about what we're about to do. The Bible says God told Elijah. And he told him to go tell the king, when you and your men go, don't go this way. Because they're going to be laying in wait for you. The Bible says, keep going, says they did exactly what he said. It says, and the king of Israel sent it. Uh, sent to that place which the men of God told him and warned him of, and he saved himself there not once nor twice. But this happened over and over and over again. And finally, the king of Syria, watch what he does. It says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria, he was sore terrible. I think he used another word, but we won't go there. It says, he was upset for this thing. And he called his servants, and he said unto them, which one of y'all is telling him about our plans? Kind of like Trump administration. Who's telling everybody? Yes. Everything. Who in here keeps telling them what we're going to do? I need to know who it is. Now you gotta understand, because y'all need to read the Bible, read the Bible. Because you gotta understand this is a king, right? Any of y'all ever seen New Jack City? Yeah. When Nino was walking around that table. <laughs> this how the king was. Who keeps telling them what we doing? Because somebody about to die. <laughs> so they terrified. They're like, it ain't me. Keep going. He says, and one of your servants says, none of us, Lord. It's Elijah. The prophet that is in Israel, he keeps telling the king of Israel the words that you be speaking in your bedchamber. Watch this. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send forth and fetch him. He said, kill him. He says, and it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. He says, therefore, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night, and they compassed the city. They was about to get Elijah. The Bible says in the next verse, it says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host of camp, the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, master, what are we going to do? His servant got up early. He looked out and he saw on the hills all those chariots and all those horses. And he saw all those things. And it was just him and Elijah and a couple other people. He said, what are we going to do? And Elijah says to him, I love this. It's that famous two words. Fear not. Anytime in the Bible where a man of God says fear not, it's about to be on. You can write that in your Bible. If you see fear not, you can just, it's about to be on. He says, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they with them. Now his servant is like, is you crazy? Do you see how many people there are? They got horses and chariots and swords and spears, and you talk about more with us? Where? 
That's how we talk to God. That's how we talk to God. He's telling us all that he's going to do. And we're like, do you see my bank account? Do you know my credit score? But I'm black. But I'm female. But I'm from the South. I don't have a degree. You keep telling God all of this stuff. And he says, would you shut up and open your eyes? He says to them, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they would be with them. Next verse. And Elijah prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray thee, open up his eyes so that he may see. The Bible says, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw. God's getting ready to open our eyes so we can see. That is what all of this is about. Opening up our eyes so we can see. He says, open up his eyes. It isn't a young man, so he could see. It says, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. Wait a minute. Of what? Now, they had horses and chariots. But God had horses and chariots of fire. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, when God shows up, everything going to be fire. Yeah. When God shows up, everything going to be fine. Why? Because God will consume everything that came to consume you. All you got to do is open up your eyes and see that God has more going on for you than the enemy has against you. And then lastly, when you understand this new birth experience, you understand that we are able to live independent of the statistics that govern this natural world. There are things that they say will happen to you because of your race, because of your gender, because of your class, and I am telling you that God has the ability to supersede every single one of those things. We declare all the time in this church we will not be statistics. We, we, we will be the positive outliers. We're talking, if you're talking in mathematical terms, we're going to be the third standard deviation to the right. We way over, forget that bell-shaped curve average stuff. We way over here. We an outlier. Why? Because we're not bound by the independent statistics that govern this natural world. Understand something. You and I have power over disease. Understand something. We have power over demonic spirits. We have power over death. We have power over nature. Our new birth experience shows us in Scripture that we have this. The Bible says, the Bible says this. It says, as Jesus is in this world, so are we. Well, if you begin to look at how Jesus had power over sickness and disease, shall I got it? Say, say I have it too. I was reading, just, just looking through some of the things that Jesus done. You can read about it. But Jesus, he, he talks about the healing of Peter's mother. You go through and you find out that not only did he heal Peter's mother, but he healed a deaf mute. 
He healed several blind men. He made people who were paraplegics get up and walk. He healed a man who had a withered hand. He healed a woman who had an issue of blood. He healed all kinds of people. He took lepers and he healed them and then took them on their way. He healed a woman who had not been able to conceive a baby and healed her womb. All of these things are things Jesus did. And the Bible says, as Jesus is in this world, so are we. So if Jesus had... If Jesus had the ability to supersede statistics, then we have the ability to supersede statistics. He had power over demonic spirits. He healed the Canaanite woman's daughter. See, we got all these teenagers who are going through all this stuff. I tell people all the time, listen, if your teenagers are going through stuff, now ain't the time to to, to just let them go. Now ain't the time to be talking about these these just their teen years. Uh Uh-uh. But you know what? You also can't wait till their teens to start declaring that. I'm not bragging. I'm simply saying we ain't had those issues with our teens. Now, now, now we, me and Tashawn Percy, I'm talking about. We, 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 we've had issues with our kids like anybody else, but we ain't had no whole bunch of rebellious stuff. Number one, we put them hands on you. But, <laughs> but, but besides that, when they were younger, we prayed yeah. that we didn't believe in like, like, like y'all stop talking about them terrible twos. No terrible twos. Ain't no, ain't no terrible twos. They're terrible twos because you say it is, and then when they start to display the behavior, you're like, oh, there it is. You called it that. No, no, no. I don't care what any psychologists say. Ain't nothing normal about kids rebelling against their parents. Ain't nothing normal about that. And so we just make our confessions early on. We declare in the name of Jesus that our kids are going to see the way. And if they don't, we believe you got it. Do we follow your strategy? You give us a strategy to help them see whether they're asleep or not. Because if we have to knock them out, we will. But whatever you need us to do, we declare that they're going to behave. And, and so you don't have to go through all of that. Listen, they, they tell people, you know, well, and, and I, hate when, I hate it when people, um, you know, are going through something and doctors say, well, we give you so-and-so to live. The moment doctors say that, people start a mental clock of counting down how long they have. So even though they're believing God, they still got this clock running in their mind. And do you not know that whatever's in your subconscious is actually most powerful? But I tell you, if anybody has has survived cancer before, we can survive it. We we can live beyond these statistics. Well, you know 50%. Of all marriages end in divorce, even among Christian families, yeah, but we ain't got to buy into that statistic. We don't have to buy into it. You know, they say the average mean income in Arkansas is $45,000, but we ain't got to buy into it. We don't have to buy into that. We can say, you know what? Our God gives us the ability to live above whatever average statistic they're throwing out there. And then we have power over death. Thank you, Lord. We do. Thank you, Lord. Now, I think specifically when God says that to us, he's talking about the death of so many dreams we let die. We let so many things in our life die. I ain't just talking about people. I mean things. We let things that seem so big just go because we think they're too big. Let me help you. If you see yourself doing it yourself, it's too small. If you can get it done by yourself, it's too small for you. God gives you big dreams, so you have to depend on him. 
He gives you something so big that the only, the only reasonable thing to do is to rely on him. And then he gives us power over nature. He gives us power over nature. We calm storms. Yeah. Yeah. See, pe people think, oh, that's a little spooky. Listen, the one thing you want to be able to do if a tornado is coming your way is to declare that tornado dry up and die. Now ain't the time when it's a mile away to be thinking whether or not this is my ability or not. <laughs> no, you better go on and get in that shelter. <laughs> you better go on and jump in that shelter and work on that next time. You need to convince and fortify yourself of certain things before you face them. Amen. <laughs> right. You, got, you better declare some stuff beforehand. You know, it's like, it's like I read the other day, which I just think is, is, is awesome. I don't care how he did it. Um, the young man, um, I think it was from Kenya, who ran a marathon in under two hours. And it was like, well, you know, he had a pacers. And they were like, well, and, 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 and they gave him water on the bicycle so he didn't have to slow down. Do you understand? You could take, you can give me all that. In a couple days. And I ain't running 26 miles, 365 yards in under two hours. But people love to minimize whatever you do because it takes the super off of your natural and then they don't have to think that you did something that they themselves could do too if they had super on them. And so listen, every day, every day people are breaking, people are breaking barriers. People are doing something that's never been done before. It used to be unthinkable that you could run a four minute mile. They used to actually believe that if a human being ran a four minute mile, his heart would explode until somebody did it. He ran 359.12. And once he ran 359.12, you know what it did? It opened the revelation for everybody else. And then somebody ran 359.5. Then somebody ran 358.7. Because the, God is waiting on us to do something so that the whole world goes, oh my God, that's now possible. He gave you and I the new birth experience so that we could live out a dream so the rest of the world could catch up and live in it too. But you got to see yourself as a person who has this new birth experience and that you are not being limited in your power. Say, I am, I am. not limited in my power as a result of this new birth experience. Let me close with this. Put this last point up, Caleb. When we think of God in human terms, with human mannerisms, we are often prone to limit God to human function, to human limitations, and human responses. We've got to stop seeing God like we see ourselves and start seeing ourselves as God is. Because if we see God as he is, we stop putting all these human functions on him, all these human limitations, and all of these human responses. God doesn't respond like we do. God doesn't even function like we do in our natural state. And what we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to 
function like God as opposed to, 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 to expecting God to somehow respond the way we respond. I have to tell myself sometimes, just because I would respond like that didn't mean God would. So yes, maybe I have to work on my grudge holding. God doesn't. See, I, I, I recognize that I need to be more in Christ because God is never holding anything against me. The Bible says in Corinthians, his love keeps no record of right and wrong. The Bible tells us in 1 John that God is love. So if God is love and love keeps no record of right and wrong, God keeps no record of right and wrong. So if God's not keeping a record of right and wrong, then what I did yesterday ain't impacting how he sees me today. It's not impacting him how they see me as the next moment. So I have to remember that when I blow it, whatever my blow it is, so I don't keep thinking God is judging me the way I'm judging me. Because God's not judging me the way I judge me. And if I'm not careful, I'll bring God down to human form. And when I bring God down to human form, I lessen who he is in my life and what he can do in my life. So we got to make sure that we don't do that. This last scripture, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 in the message translation. If you get it in the message translation, that'd be great. Isaiah 46, I think it's 9 through 10. Because we don't want, we don't, we don't want to bring God down into this, this human function, these human limits, and these human responses. I have it here, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. In the message translation says this, I believe. It says, I am God, the only God you've had or ever will have. I am incomparable and I am irreplaceable. From the very beginning, telling you what the ending would be. All along, letting you in on what is going to happen. Assuring you, I'm in this for the long haul. I'll do exactly what I set out to do. That's what God is saying to us. He's, he, he, he's telling us. He's saying, he's saying to us, uh, I'll do exactly what I set out to do. Go back one, one verse if you can. Just, yeah. He says, I'm incomparable and I'm irreplaceable. From the very beginning, telling you what the end will be. See, that's why I say God always give you a goal. He'll tell you from, from the beginning, he'll tell you what it's going to look like. And then, and then he'll give you the game plan. And sometimes you get the game plan as you go. You know, the best coaches aren't the ones who set out a game plan for the whole game and stick to it no matter what. The best coaches are the ones who have a game plan and they're able to modify and adapt as the game goes along. Because you may not have planned for them to do X, and now they're doing X really well. But if you're one of those people who get the game plan, you're going to run the ball no matter what. Every time on first down, you don't care that they know you're going to do it. You're just going to line up and do it. And you refuse to change. Because you have decided this is the game plan. 
We said on Wednesday, this is what we was going to do on Saturday, and by God, we're going to do it. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, if you live like that, say, you going to catch that L. You're going to lose a lot. And you don't have to lose in life. You don't have to lose in life. I know what God told you in January, but what is he telling you in October? I know what he said in July. Is he still saying it right now? Because it's not just about what God said. It's about what God is. You know, I tell people all the time, I use this as an example because it's, a, it's an extreme example, but I use it because I think it gets people's attention. You get married and you take a vow for better or for worse. And your spouse, whoever the other spouse is, starts abusing you physically. People have told people in the past to stay in those kind of relationships, that God gonna work it out. I'm telling you this, if somebody put their hands on you, God is not telling you to stay there. Now, he may say stay in your marriage, but that don't mean staying in that place with them who are physically abusing you. And you have to learn to know the difference between what God said and what he's saying. And is what he's saying still in line with what he said? Because the truth of the matter in this world, people are free moral agents. We have the ability to decide not to do what God said at any time we want. And y'all know I'm telling the truth. Because we've all done it. Holy Spirit say, tell them I'm sorry. I wish I would. <laughs> and then we have all kind of euphemisms for it too. They'll eat snowballs in hell for I ever apologize. <laughs> I mean, that's how serious we be about it. But God said forgive. Mm -mm. So we know we have the ability to supersede what God says, right? So you have to make sure that when you got the goal, you got the game plan, you got the right group, you know what your government is, you're checking in, you got your accountability team going, you got to get your strategy. And once you got your strategy, you can't allow perfection to get you off track. Once you hear what God says, follow that plan. Yeah. And once you follow that plan, that is when you go beyond the mechanics of just saying, I'm in faith. Because now you're walking out your faith. Because your faith is not in you, but it's in what Christ has already done. Amen?